If you're a physician who wants more autonomy in how you practice or fulfillment in your life, you're in the right place. This is the Change Physician Podcast, where our guests reveal how you can learn the mindsets, skills, and strategies to create the life you want without selling out your morals or values. But before we begin, I want to remind you of the free book giveaways, guides, and other physician resources available to you at thechangephysician.com. Welcome back to the Change Physician Podcast. I'm Dr. Melissa Katie, joined by my co-host, Dr. Kevin Kakaro, and our awesome guest out of Houston, Texas, emergency physician, Dr. Rip Patel. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, we always start the stories from the very beginning, and why would you want to go into medicine, or what made you want to go into medicine? You know, when I working, I'm also at Baylor right now, and I read a lot of personal statements, and a lot of people have the answer, I want to help people, and I always got criticized for saying that. They were like, well, you could do anything and help people, and I think that's a very legitimate answer. We want to help people, um, and my father was a physician. I sort of rebelled against it for a very long time, but um, starting doing film in college, and then doing documentaries, going into global health, global health documentaries, I think you just see all these issues you want to address specifically on the angle of a physician. And um, I think relevantly just for emergency, emergency just gave me that skill set to be able to do that one day. And I mean, you know, talk the talk, walk the walk, come, you know, now to my 40s now, I'm still able to practice, teach, and um, get involved in charity work and global health work and serving really underserved parts of our country, like New Mexico, Indian reservations. Um, so it's very possible, it's very doable, and it's very feasible. Hmm. I, I'm kind of curious there though, is, is you had a back, your family background that you rebelled against, your father was a physician. You go into film, when was it that you decided then to make that transition into medicine and uh, what did you have to do next? Did you have to go back and take a bunch of, of prereqs or had you kind of kept up at the same time while you were doing film? You know, the wrong answer to that is I saw Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. Uh, <laughs> that's the wrong answer. But <laughs> I think just because, you know, you see something and you fall into a paradigm and you become another South Asian physician, that's not a bad thing. And I think after you look through all that and realize what you really want to do, it shouldn't matter that you know, people think that's generic or that's cliche or you became a doctor. And I think, sadly, a lot of myself was blinded by that. Um, I wasn't the best student in high school. And I really like arts a lot. I like drawing, sketching. I'm a violinist. And I just thought that was the avenue I wanted to pursue. But I think going in into film, watching documentaries, specifically about health inequities, there's a really amazing documentary. I can't remember the name of it now, but it's about um, child prostitution in India and in Calcutta. Um, this, this slave trade of, of children, unfortunately, and how people are using them. And I think seeing the medical side of that, of how physicians are involved, treating them, the dynamics of them in communities, I think that alone just showed me kind of, I felt more I could do more. And, and I don't think medicine is purely, it's not purely science. There's a lot of art, a lot of creativity you have to put into your day-to-day -day interactions. I know for the ER, dealing with patients, homeless patients, insurance issues, consultants, um, making sure people get their follow-ups. There's a lot of things we have to do, explaining diagnoses. Um, but I think that transition really occurred my sophomore year. I think I was getting more involved in seeing issues around the world through film as a medium. And um, I think sort of separated out career versus hobby. I still love film. I like going to film festivals, um, supporting film, which is great to do now. Um, but I think that was the avenue I wanted to pursue after that. 
Hmm. So being that you kind of you chose to go in that direction, when you went through medical school or you're going through that path and deciding on residency, was it pretty, you know, standard, you're, you know, you're excited, it was a lot of work, just kept chugging through, or were there some moments of reflection that made you question things, or what was that, those first four years or so? Oh, God, I hated medical school. Oh, God, it was terrible. <laughs> the first two years were a nightmare. I would never, I don't, I don't know if I could go through that again. Yeah. Um, now, I also went to an institution that had grades, um, they had class rankings, they separated you out into curves and they've changed all that now it's a great institution but they've gotten rid of all that and i think that really made for a very malignant tough atmosphere to be a student in um but yeah i think you really lose yourself those first year or two thankfully i took some time off and i was a little older going in and so i had a little more perspective that as long as you pass you're still going to be a position it does not matter you sort of cleared that biggest hurdle and and I think going into medical school, they really do everything they can to help you stay in medical school. Because um, I, by no means did I have an easy time my first two years. Um, I was drowning um, with information. Um, but I think getting to third year, and I tell my residences and the medical students at Baylor, every year I think really gets better. Um, I think second year is more interesting because you see pathology. Third year, you get to do see patients. Fourth year is a party, it's a vacation. And then you actually get to be a physician. You get to actually take responsibility and, and ownership. And I went to an, I started, I matched initially into general surgery and I switched um, to emergency, but I went to a place where I kind of enjoyed residency. I had good teachers, a nurturing environment, and it was just fun finally learning what I wanted to do. Um, and I think seeing the end of that, now ER thankfully is only three years, um, unlike maybe a seven year residency or something longer. But um, I was able to see that light about what I wanted to carve. And I think what I wanted to carve out, it was pretty simple. I wanted to practice, be a physician. Uh, I'm not an administrative person in any capacity and um, teach and uh, do stuff abroad or in underserved areas of our country. And I think that was a pretty simple vision um, of what I wanted to do. And thankfully, um, kind of through our practice now, I'm able to do that. Yeah, so the general surgery shift to emergency, what what made you decide that part? Yeah, you know, I tell people, I tell my residents, and I tell everybody, I think we all have to be cautious about how we speak of other specialties. Um, I know at my institution initially that I went to school at, you know, people were always speaking about other specialties, positively and a lot of times negatively. And I think that can really influence um, a young medical student, their decision on what they want to do. Um, I didn't have an ER rotation, unfortunately. Um, and so I sort of listened to what other people said they think is good and what they should do. And uh, boy, did I make the wrong decision. <laughs> um, and um, it's funny, you go back and you look back on your life. I don't look at it as years lost because while I was switching residencies, I did my MPH um, in London. But um, I think if I had maybe listened a little, put my antenna up, and, um, you know, I remember a pediatrician on my pediatric rotation said like, hey, you know, you seem like you like to work abroad, you want some freedom in your scheduling, you like procedures, maybe you should look into ER. And I was like, ha, ha, I'm not going to be an ER doc. Are you crazy? Well, I don't want to do that. And then flash forward now. <laughs> so, but ER and surgery, I think, are great specialties for, I don't know, for teaching, for service work. Um, I think the nice thing about ER is the flexibility because we don't have any set patients. And so that gives you so much freedom. And I mean, it's, it's really 
mind boggling what you can do. Um, Doctors Without Borders, PRN work. One doc I work with six months on, they take six months off. Um, some doctors move to other countries. Uh, it's just so many things you can do with it because of that flexibility. Yeah, it's it's interesting hearing your sort of career path because you have a lot of little, little turns and, and wiggles in here. Yeah. Um, My parents are not thrilled about that. Trust me. <laughs> well, I, I think it's amazing, and I, I do think it it just sort of brings in this this idea of being flexible and and being and recognizing as you're going through this uh, pretty intense experience that is not necessarily right or wrong decisions. It's what's the decision that you made. And none of those were permanent in any way. Like you did it and yeah. then you changed and that was okay. Do you think, I mean, it really sounds like you're wise beyond your years. So I'm kind of curious, was it was because you had a little space in there or was this the type of person that you are that has? You know, you know I'll tell you like when I was switching residencies, boy, I felt like such a failure. I mean, I did the residency process twice 30 interviews across countless states, flying back from England, um, risking not matching because I was living in England and I wasn't going to try to scramble here. So I was just hoping I matched. But, um, you know, I'll tell you, it's been, what, almost over 10 years now. I had a patient when I was a fourth-year med student um, at St. Paul Hospital, uh, where the city I was living in, and he unfortunately was dying of brain cancer. And, you know, the nice thing about being a medical student is I think the patients really like you a lot because you spend so much time with them. As an intern, as an attending, you're really just in and out quickly. But anyway, he and I just became really good friends. He had this amazing wife, and they were always there together. And um, anyway, he, we were talking one day. I would never forget it in the morning, and he was just like he said to me, it was very simple. Um, you know, I come from a South Asian background where everything gets done on a timeline. You have to get married here and become an interventional cardiologist and pop out some babies and, and all has to go on a timeline. And, um, you know, I think he basically said there's no timeline, Rip. Like, there's really no timeline. You do things on your timeline and what makes you happy. And when you decide you want to do residency, do your master's, when you decide take some time after that, maybe you want to take a hiatus from your career. Maybe you want to get married now, later. There's no timeline for life. And he's like, as my life is ending, I am telling you one. So do what makes you happy and let things flow. So basically he's saying, let things go. Uh, let things flow, let it go as it should take its course. And I think I was saying, um, you know, he's saying as his life was coming to an end, um, you know, he's like, yours is really beginning now. You're finished, you're gonna start your residency. And so there's really no wrong decisions in life. If, if you don't feel it's right, you'll learn from it and you'll be better for it and it'll make for great stories later. And so I've sort of said that to myself now, everything I've done. And I think it makes you much happier about your career and the choices you make. Yeah, yeah. I suspect that, you know, it sounds like there's people in your life that may have more of a traditional and, and more, um, you know, laid out life expect, you know, their expectations might be that way. And, and yeah. you are embracing more of the adaptive, creative, feel the moment and, and know what, you know, um, just take advantage of wonderful opportunities to enjoy life. And yeah. And just let it take you and see what comes of it. I mean, I've always had, you know, some kind of vision down the road, what I wanted to do, but I think the little turns here and there of getting there, I think is going to be different really for everybody. And um, I think if you force decisions on yourself of what you need to do, and I have to have, I mean, my God, look at what I do now. I do the exact opposite of what I ever wanted to do. I wanted to move to Houston, back home, be close to my parents, and be on staff at the hospital I was born at, which I did. 
And look how that worked out. It was run by a, um, a large staffing company that was much more interested, not so much in patient care. They were interested in other things. And that's not why I signed up to be a doctor. And I'm not doing it, period. And so now I'm doing the exact opposite. I'm traveling and working in different states um, to practice under my own standards and not theirs. Well, let's, let's explore that a little bit then. So uh, when, when you moved home, was that right after residency or how did, when you, when you left residency, what was your practice idea looking like? Was, was it, yeah, that was it? Yeah, yeah. So when I moved back, I, um, I moved back. I took it. Now, the climate was very different. Everybody was hiring way pre-COVID. But um, the hospital I was born at, there's a part of Houston. It's one of the most, I think it still resettles the most re refugees in the country. Extremely diverse. Houston's still, I think, the most diverse city in the country. But that pocket alone, it just resettles people from all over the world. And we started out there. My parents did. My parents are from, from Gujarat, from India. And so I love that hospital a lot. I still do incredible pathology, lots of underserved. And unfortunately, I was completely naive to how medicine actually operates in my specialty. And I think more than half, I'm not sure 100% but that exact statistic, I think is still very corporate driven, corporate staffing, which aren't all evil. I think it's a case by case, but that hospital particularly was very challenging to work at because uh, I wasn't really taught so much about metrics and, um, you know, appeasing everybody and, you know, if they need narcotics, what you need to do to make them happy. Admitting, you know, all these things that are bad medicine, driving up healthcare costs, medical legal. Uh, I'm grateful, actually, to some degree that my, my institution taught me more about being an ER physician. But, um, and, and then don't get me started on the payment schemes, the RVU multipliers, you know, eat what you kill. Um, which I tell my residents from day one, do not fall into that model of productivity bonuses. And, you know, if that's your model, that's fine, but it should never come at the sacrifice of, of patient care. You know, they want you to see three an hour, four an hour. And so I was there and all these things were kind of in a confluence together of staffing company metrics, difficult administration, um, and actually just a very unsafe environment, I think, to work in where, you know, I've seen a lot of trauma and a lot of things. I was like, we need more people here or another physician um, or something. And I think all those together just made me realize, wow. And um, I actually left, I quit and I took like some time off just to, you know, do I even want to practice medicine anymore? And I think we talked about this before. The answer I think was yes. I don't think the answer is quitting being a doctor. I think you just need to separate out. I, call, I tell my residents, I call it the background noise. Get the background noise out of your job. What does that mean for you? Is it, is it a, a medical director you can't deal with? Is it a, a CMO who's not looking out for the clinics or the specialties? Uh, is it the metrics? Is it the pay structure? Um, you know, is it the, the press gainy? Um, I don't think press gainy is all evil. We should treat our patients with compassion and care, but when, that, when that's in contradiction to their best interest, um, of course we can't appease them all and not, not a chance. Um, and so I think all those things alone maybe kind of reflect on, you know, where to go, where to go next. Yeah. Well, um, everything you're saying is, uh, music to my ears. Cause I think this is, the, <laughs> these are kind of the conversations that, uh, Kevin and I have, uh, in some way or another, um, over the last couple of years. Um, but I guess, you know, how long were you, 
how long were you, I'm just kind of curious from a timeline standpoint, how long were you in the kind of the corporate before you kind of created your own or took some time off? Yeah. So I did um, one year uh, in the corporate structure and it really broke my heart because I loved all my nurses and the docs I worked with, but I just knew, um, you know, between all the things we talked about, coupled with ER is a very high risk specialty. So high risk coupled with a hospital that may not back you up, coupled with um, a very vigorous review process. So did you do this right or not? Um, I think, and that alone, that, God, that's a whole discussion nobody has about how doctors are treated, evaluated, and, um, you know, which makes people, and God forbid I haven't been sued yet. I'm sure it's going to knock on what happened at one point, but um, I did it for one year. And then finally I had enough foresight to say, you know, I, 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 this isn't what I signed up for. Um, and I need to just step back and see what else is out there. And the thing is, I just didn't know, like everything I didn't know. And um, I didn't know what other options were out there. Houston was also at that point, very driven by large companies. We didn't have the option of being an employee or uh, democratic groups or things like that. And so um, I, I can't say how I bridged into doing, starting what I do now. Um, Actually, yes, I can. What am I saying? Of course I can. <laughs> um, I gave a talk about this at ASAP. What am I talking about? Of course I can. Um, I met a guy, long story short, who um, came up one day to our ER. He was doing locums work and I really hated him. Um, I bored him because um, he had to do locums PRN work because he was a model. Um, yeah, I know. Trust me. I know. Um, <laughs> he had to model and shoot music videos on the side and I just, oh my God. And he was very very happy that's what killed me about it and he's very enjoyed <laughs> his life he's like are oh, you working next weekend he's like oh no 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 i can't i'm doing a modeling shoot and we're shooting a music video and i was just like don't let me see you in the parking lot i mean really um what's funny though is he told me about what he did and i thought he was insane it sounded hard stupid um dangerous nuts and then I reflected back on it after I quit and I ended up calling him and I was just like, how do you do what you do? Can you give me some idea? You said you go to like these towns and you work and you like it because they're small and you uh, see some cool pathologies, you make your own schedule. Um, they're grateful you're there. Um, and so we went out and we chatted and then that's sort of how I started working with locums agencies and then ultimately just kind of branching out on my own. Yeah. Wow, that's funny. You made me think, you know, you talk about, oh, this guy was, you know, dancing and making videos and you were talking about creativity before we started this whole, you know, video <laughs> interview. And, and I, I, I rewrote the lyrics to Baby Got Back to, you know, make the Baby Got Back better and had a whole bunch of people <laughs> dancing with me and like, you know, anyway, brought back memories, but. Like um, <laughs> it's like very Z-Dog, Z-Dog MD, if you've seen his music yes. video. <laughs> yes, we've talked on a couple of occasions. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, you know, you went and did your own thing and how did you, from an infrastructure, how did you create that or what was kind of like your defining mission with that? I mean, I think initially I was doing it just to get out of Houston and to work really on your own schedule. I think the, the appealing part about it was, um, you know, ER, there's a constant day, night, night, day shifting, which is part of our specialty. But if it's not done properly, it can be very unsafe. If you're doing an overnight shift, your next day is your post-call, and then the next day you're starting at 5 a.m., you're not going to be well-rested. I mean, pilots have an absolute requirement for sleep requirements, turnarounds. I don't know why as ER doctors, we don't. Um, I could go on that tangent forever, but um, I just wanted to work in somewhat consistent schedule for health, for sleep, 
and, um, and work on my time so I could carve around other stuff I wanted to do. And so that's kind of why I talked to that guy and he sort of introduced me to a few agencies. Um, and so I talked to them. Um, I work with uh, two of them, the big ones, Comp Health and Weatherby, um, part of CHG. Um, and they sort of started me out on a few assignments around Texas. And it was just such a different mode of practice. I just didn't know you could do these kind of things. And so I started doing like a week on, coming back home another week. And I'm telling you, it sounds crazy, but it was jarring, one, to know my schedule, two, to work the days I said I was going to work and not work other days. Like, hey, surprise, we need you to work this day. Hey, you need to be on call for, the, you know. And I'm telling you, the most jarring thing was getting a paycheck, which was the actual amount of money I thought I was going to get paid. It sounds nuts, but those are the really things that strike me when I started doing work. On top of which, just working in places where you just saw really neat things. And I really like emergency medicine a lot. I do a lot of, I love teaching my residents at, at Baylor in Houston. And um, it's been a lot of single coverage. And so I think it's just made me a, a better position working alone and really serving underserved parts of the country um, where I think a lot of the politics and those types of things aren't on the forefront. I think it's much more about the patient care and taking care of people and the, the, the greater focus is of why we all did this. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, again, I mean, I'm hearing these themes come up as, as we're talking to you. And one of them, like we can look at it from somebody who maybe listening to this, oh, you didn't want to work out. You're never saying work hard. What you're saying is you wanted to work so that you had a life. Yeah. And the other part about that is that it's come up of you keep mentioning these, these things that are in corporate medicine that are all about our view generation or income generation, but really support bad patient care. So you've sort of gone off and, and started this where you have control of your life, but you can practice good medicine yeah. in a way that, that is aligned with both values and with good patient care. And it, it just sounds like a, a real win-win scenario. So again, just, just fascinating to hear this come up. And then the other part was this um, underserved population. Could, so have you always been interested in underserved populations or have, is this just because we know in the ER that is oftentimes the only access a lot of people have for healthcare yeah. for an underserved population? Where did, where did that come from in yeah. this desire to serve? You know, I'll mention your other point really briefly. I was just having lunch with one of my residents today, who's one of my all-star residents. I love him to death. And he's looking for jobs out in Seattle. And so whenever my residents are coming to third year, we kind of go through their contracts. Um, a lot of them want to go in the community. Some want to stay back at Baylor to do academics, which is also great. But, you know, we're trying to explain these payment schemes to them because I don't think I've had a resident yet, very few who've had just a straight hourly compensation scheme. And as I always tell them, it shouldn't be about the money. I, I always say emergency medicine residency doesn't stop after three years. I'm a PGY eight or nine now. I'm still learning every day. Um, there's no way I feel ready for this. You know, I, I do the best I can, but I'm always learning. But um, the, the schemes of, I don't want to call them schemes, but the way that it's set up for them, they just don't know. And literally they're getting pushed to unsafe limits of patients they see. Patients get upset, documentation suffers, you really hesitate. You're like, oh, I don't want to order. You don't, I don't want to step back and order more tests. And that could delay my metrics, my times, more I see. Um, and so to me, having a flat hourly rate where you're not compensated for anything more, you're not getting more money for critical care time. Um, it's just such a better way to go. And, and to your other point, if any of the hospitals that we contract with 
violate any of the safety clauses we have set up. It's a very simple walk away scenario. We're 1099 independent contractors with them and they understand that. And so it's just a very much, if you email me about keeping patient X because you needed another troponin or a cardiac workup, or I need to reassess that, don't email me that because there was a reason for it. There's always a reason for it. If it took me an, a 30 minutes to see a patient, probably because I was in a cardiac arrest with another patient. Or if that guy was upset, it's probably because he's been here 50 times over asking for um, you know, benzodiazepine and narcotic refills, which I'm not going to do. Um, so I think we have a really great group of hospitals, uh, and we really do, that are really cognizant of that. And I don't think that was in their purview to begin with. But if that issue came up, we work at so many other places, um, it just wouldn't matter. Um, so, and I forgot your second question now. <laughs> I was going off on a tangent there. <laughs> do you remember, Kevin? Now I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember myself <laughs> here. Because uh, that was about, about the payment and then, oh, the underserved population. Underserved population. So, because that, um, you, know, you didn't mention that in undergrad where you were doing these yeah. works on documentaries with underserved yeah. populations. And I mean, so, the nice thing, I, I think as the country is becoming more focused and going into bigger cities, people are all moving towards bigger cities and the rural parts of our country are getting brain drains. Um, and so I think you get like a lot of just incentives doing kind of what I've been doing. And by the way, what I do, I think is a very extreme version of what people can do with their lives as a physician. Um, but a lot of the rural communities um, in Texas, uh, we, I work a lot in New Mexico, Missouri, Louisiana. Uh, there's just so much poverty out there. Um, it's heartbreaking. Coupled with what we see in New Mexico, um, the Native American populations. And so that sort of just came with a different form of treating poverty. I think Houston was a lot of inner city poverty, um, which we see as well. I'm, you know, I'm faculty at Baylor, where we have a huge county hospital here. Um, we only have two in the city. And so I think it's just a different type of underserved populations where in Houston, we have more resources, more specialists. Out there, you're it. I mean, you are everything. You are their PCP, you're their specialist. I just gave a talk last week about doing uh, paracentesis, draining people's abdomen with ascites because there's no gastroenterologist out there. There's no interventional radiology. You're gonna be doing it and they're gonna probably come see you tomorrow for follow-up. Um, and so I think that has just brought a whole nother level of just, just gratitude, satisfaction, when patients just say thank you. They're always, I have a jacket. I love living in Texas. I have a big Texas on my jacket and the patients are always like, where are you from? And I tell them and I sort of explain what I do and they're like, huh? I'm like, don't worry about it. <laughs> We'll explain it later, but um, they're just like, thank you. Thank you for coming here and thank you for coming to help our community. And um, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So it's been really satisfying. Wow. So uh, I, I, I gotta, there's one thing I wanna kind of clarify here because we've sort of danced around it. So then once you've left your traditional practice and you went off and kind of took some time and then you started designing it and you were doing locums, but what are you doing now and is that, a typical yeah. locums practice or is yeah, that definitely. kind of locums on steroids? Right, right, right. So basically now, um, instead of, uh, instead of, I, and I still use agencies, but I think after you do locums for enough time, some people do it in multiple modalities. Some use it just for PRN work, which is great. Some people use it, oh, I'm moving, like my resident's moving to around Seattle. If he has any issues finding a job, so just do a little locums work until you find something. And then I think some people like me are kind of on the steroid side of it, doing it as a lifestyle to practice. 
uh, how we want to practice under our own standards. So I still use probably about 15% of my practice is using um, agencies because we've had a long established, like one place I work in Albuquerque, I've worked with the agency there for a very long time. And so I'm just comfortable going through them for doing the booking and the hotels and all that. But then I think beyond that, you work in enough times, enough places that it's kind of a word of mouth referral um, where, you know, they're like, hey, this place needs a physician. Could you help them out? PR and locums. And so we sort of just contact the hospital directly and we tell them, hey, we're available to help you out with coverage. And so we have our own contract with the hospital um, as a 1099 and then we get on their staff. So we're kind of like PRN medical staff, if that makes sense, but we're not employees. And then we sort of give our availability to all of our hospitals and we see sort of who needs us. And um, that's kind of how we make our schedule, if that makes sense. Um, so it's really just sort of doing it on your own now because it's kind of a full-time career for me now, um, rather than so much relying 100% on the agencies anymore. I think agencies are great for people starting out in it and people that maybe want to do it part-time um, but I think eventually you just get enough referrals to people that need you, um, that sometimes you can probably just branch away from them as well. Yeah. So you're part-time, uh, as faculty and in Houston, and then you run this business, you know, utilizing a lot of, you know, whether it's a little bit of locums, other groups, but you kind of create the direct relationships and created your own business. Yeah. So my schedule is pretty regular, actually. So my first week of the month, I carve out for being at Baylor or working for my residence lectures. And then the next three weeks, I carved out for uh, doing local group at our hospitals. And it's, we've been at our, most of the hospitals we serve enough time now where it's pretty regular, our schedule. And so we sort of give our days way in advance. This week will be for Missouri. That will be for Louisiana. That week, two weeks will be for New Mexico. That week we're going to be off. It's funny, when you work for yourself, I found you end up working more than, you know, than you wouldn't. Um, probably because you're sort of enjoying your job more and you feel less burdened um, about the things that really stress doctors out a lot. Um, and if you need time off, you take time off. Um, I had a bad uh, patient COVID case uh, back in April, May. And so I just planned ahead of like, hey, I'm not going to book that week. Um, I love to travel. So I book time off for travel. And so it's sort of when you feel the burnout, um, you can dial back a little bit. Um, it's never about money. It's just about liking my job and working and you know taking care of patients really but that flexibility of not being on a rigid schedule of you have to do this many hours you have to give this many per year um i think you then that's when you get trapped and um you know i love my sister to death she's in a model where she has to give hours set amount of hours and i think like if you don't make your hours like something you have to add them on the next year i can't remember how it works exactly but it just doesn't sound good <laughs> and there's so much volatility in my job with hospitals and their loyalty to groups that you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And that doesn't apply to just medicine. That can apply to any job. But tomorrow, I'll give you an example. I was working in Arizona with this great group. And then um, in South Arizona, it was, it was the best job ever. We contracted with them. They were a group. They were with the hospital for 20 years, I think at least. Um, they were so great to work with. They put the ER doctors in the critical care area. So you could maybe do one or two patients an hour because they were all sick, sick, sick. And you just worked at your pace. And if they were sick and you had to do more central lines and tubes, nail lines, it didn't matter. And then um, within, I think a year, that group, for some reason, the hospital didn't renew their contract. And then they gave it to a mega staffing company. And guess what happened? Everybody left. 
Um, so if that had been my only job, I would have been up a creek, you know, um, but kind of diversifying, kind of like a stock portfolio, just diversifying where you work makes it a lot less stressful where you work at because you're not as reliant if things change for the detriment of, you know, your practice or for patient care. Yeah. And there's, there's something to say about the familiarity and familiarity versus like trying to learn a new system and where things are and who the people are and establishing relationships. Like there's something much more, you just kind of slide the shoe back on, so to speak, you know, it's just easy to kind of get reset into that environment. But I love what you said. It's so true that to feel like you go from, I have to have this many hours and do this many days to, I want to, which means you might do more, but it's, you have the autonomy and the choice to do what you want to do when you want to do it. And when you need a recharge, which all of us need at some point, you can make that choice for yourself versus worrying about losing your job because you need that other week off um, for whatever reason. So um, I love that. And, and so I I wanted you to maybe just uh, as maybe one of the last questions here is to speak to um, since you, are into designing your life in a way, what are the things that you love to do that you're able to do now because you have more control over your life? Yeah, I, um, I love, like I said, I love work with my residents, um, but I'm not a research guy. Uh, I'm not really a smart guy. So what I bring to the table, I think for them is going out into the middle of nowhere or at a critical access hospital and trying to make it through the shift. And I think that skill set alone is what a lot of them, um, I hope, appreciate. Um, cause it's just a different, different way of practicing emergency medicine. Um, but barring that, I think just hobbies, um, it sounds kind of corny. My mom and dad are here and, um, they're getting into their seventies and I just love taking them out to nice places that they don't normally go to. Cause they like going to one Tex-Mex place every week, like <laughs> down the street. And I'm like, we're in Houston, this like Mecca of food. And so, <laughs> Um, but spending time with family, it's really simple stuff for me. I, I've been away from home for so long. It's just so nice to feel like I'm back home. Um, I love to travel pre-COVID. I'm a violinist. And so um, I love taking lessons with my teacher who plays for the symphony here. Um, and then writing. Um, you know, granted, it's probably only you guys and my mom and dad that read it. But I like to do a lot of freelance writing. And um, I found a few venues to, to get to do that, to talk about. Um, kind of what I do and um, and really kind of what your mission is, I think, too, of saying, you know, you don't have to be in an unhappy position. You can find a way to to find a way to be happy. You don't have to be trapped in something, but I don't think the answer is just to quit. I've never found a job where more people are trying to not do the job. It's crazy. You spent all your life sacrificing for it, and then all of a sudden you're miserable, and you see the really dark sides of that misery, of, of stress, of, of substance abuse, and um, for what, for a really good cause. And so, um, so yeah, so I think there are other ways to go and I think people should, just should explore them. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Kevin, any other last questions? No, no last questions. I think we can talk to you again. Like, and I think I say this on almost every episode. It's like, I feel like we just can have these conversations for hours because yeah. there's so much to dig into <laughs> here. To talk about. Uh, but to respect your time and respect our listeners' time, uh, really appreciate you, Rip, for coming you, on. No, I, your, your journey was was fantastic. And, to, and to, I, I, the main takeaway for that I think I'm hoping people get out of this is the fact that, that just because you've made a decision doesn't mean you're locked in the rest of your life. And that flexibility that you demonstrated, I, I really think people should yeah. come away with an appreciation for that. 
And I hope people understand, like, if you've taken this road to become a, a physician, a nurse, a nurse practitioner, like, you really have a unique skill set. You can help people. So you shouldn't let the system, it sounds corny or cliche to say, but don't, you shouldn't let the system dictate kind of what you want to do, you know, out of your life, um, especially if it involves, you know, caring for people um, in our country. So. Absolutely. And after that, you can wave like an American flag behind me now. <laughs> <laughs> or a Texas flag. Yeah, oh, Texas flag. <laughs> Texas, all you Texans, come on. Uh, so, oh, Rip, one, one thing. Could you just tell uh, the listeners where they can find you and learn more about your practice and what you're doing now? Absolutely, yeah. So you can just email me, um, my first name, R-I-P-A-L-H-Patel1 at Gmail. Or you can just check out our practice website. It's mercisionem.com. I think it's behind me, actually. I didn't even notice that. Um, www.mercision, M-E-R-C-I-S-I-O-N-E-M.com. Uh, I'm also uh, with uh, CHG, which is one of the staffing companies. They have an arm called Locum Story. Um, that's kind of their marketing arm that doesn't so much promote agencies. It just promotes Locum's life. And that's for every specialty, by the way, from anesthesia, pain to cardiology. And so I, they're, they're really wonderful. They actually got me on everything on writing and videos and actually like understanding what I'm doing. And as I talk about it more, it helps me clarify my own thoughts, but they've got a really phenomenal site. I recommend everybody look at, I don't get, you know, there's, I don't have any stakes in local story, but it's called locums, lo, I think it's locumstory.com. And they have just great interviews, blogs. I just did a talk about um, two physicians who worked in England I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, New Zealand during the COVID pandemic. Um, just really neat things you can do with your life uh, while kind of achieving your goals. So, um, so you, you know, if you want to read any of my writing on there too, Godspeed. But you know, but um, yeah, check it out. Check it out. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, Rip, for coming on today. I'm your uh, host for the Change Physician Podcast, Dr. Kevin Kukar, with my co-host, Dr. Melissa Katie. Um, if you love this interview, please give us a, a five-star review on whatever your platform of choice is, or you can go to thechangephysician.com and join the community there. And until next time, stay Thank well. you for joining us today on the Change Physician Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please let us know by going to thechangephysician.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out the free book giveaways, guides, and other physician resources available to you simply by joining the community at thechangephysician.com.